Esther. Hi, Florian. So uh, a lot of stuff to go through today in Slater Pot number four. Uh, yeah. Welcome to the by now hundreds of listeners. It's very good to see that we're getting a, a fair amount of traction already at the early stages of this uh, podcast project. So thanks everybody for subscribing and for watching it on YouTube. So Esther, it's been a, a, a good week. We had a, a couple of uh, good stories. So yeah. uh, there was something on media localization, very interesting company. We did a, a buyer feature on a company called Hook. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah. Yeah, so interesting model. Um, Hook is a video entertainment um, streaming service. So similar to Netflix model that we all know and love, um, but specifically for the Southeast um, Asian markets. So um, yeah, localization plays a big role in, in what they're doing. And I think from the buyer feature, we saw that they actually have quite a big return on investment when it comes to their localization efforts. So currently, localizing into six or seven languages um, across the region. They have a big focus on the Indian market, as you might expect. So they localize into three languages for, for India um, and several others as well for um, Singapore and, and different markets as well. Interesting company. Yeah, we did, we did some research. And again, the company is called Hook, and it's actually a joint venture by uh, Sony Pictures, Warner Brothers, and Singtel. And Singtel is yeah. the, uh, the local Singaporean telecom provider. But it's a, it's a gigantic company, and they, uh, they've mm. invested uh, all across the region. So it's very interesting that you see uh, these types of players going into the streaming market, right? And yeah. in a sense... I would say the Singaporean consumer market is probably not their main target. Uh, I would, I would assume sure. that yeah. for them, it's really about uh, going into, you know, markets like Indonesia or India with, you know, hundreds of millions of, of potential uh, consumers. So what were the languages that they're dubbing and subbing their content into? Um, so I think we had a number of different languages. So there was Hindi um, for India, um, there was Bahasa. There was Malay, I think, um, and a number of different ones. Telugu. Okay. But you know the languages there. Yeah, I know the languages. <laughs> okay, I don't know them by heart. Uh, yeah. Like what exactly? I think, yeah, we had seven languages. So so there were three for, for India and then for uh, for Southeast Asia, I, I think it was uh, Bahasa Indonesia because there's two variants of Bahasa. Uh, okay. So Bahasa yep. actually means language and one is uh, for Malaysia and the other one is for Indonesia, but uh, I was told they're quite close. I, I don't understand okay. much, uh, despite having lived in Singapore for three years. Uh, and then yeah. they have Mandarin, which, uh, which, uh, you know, is, uh, obviously a language spoken in, in Singapore. I mean, generally for Singapore, it's a very interesting country, linguistically mm -hmm. speaking, you know, they have, uh, yeah. four, four languages. English is widely spoken. Then they have Mandarin, uh, so Chinese, Mandarin, Chinese. They have Tamil and then uh, Bahasa Malayu. So it's a, a yeah. quadrilingual well, country. It's, it's quite interesting as well, I think, spe specifically for this streaming market, uh, the streaming platform, because, I mean, these are languages that typically some of the Western companies might actually struggle um, to find resources in. Um, and also, if you think about in this region, I know that um, Hook is doing a lot of the Korean dramas. Mm -hmm. um, so potentially localizing from um, Korean into you know, any number of those other languages that we've just named. Um, so typically, you know, we, we've heard from Netflix saying that they, they normally or sometimes use English as a pivot language between some of those. 
Um, so yeah, interesting that you've got sort of the local on the ground um, knowledge of those of those languages and, and, and that setting as well. Yeah, that, from um, from Hook. That's going to be a, a struggle or a challenge, not just not just operationally. I trying to find. Mm. Uh, you know, resources for the language transition, let's say from Korean to, to Tamil, right? Mm. But also uh, but also actually doing the actual translation and the adaptation. I mean, culturally, those are very, very different uh, settings. So, uh, yeah, I, I find it fascinating that, that uh, there is uh, such a joint venture, right? Uh, in yeah. going up against... Uh, you know, the Netflix, the Disney and, 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 and yeah. not this world. So, so I mean, it's potentially less of a surprise for Sony, for example. I yeah, mean, I'm true. not super surprised that they're involved, but I suppose the telco um, company, not necessarily a given. Um, you know, I wouldn't expect someone like British Telecom or whoever to go into streaming services necessarily in the UK. Um, uh, although yeah, I, they might I be good Matt- at the streaming part. Because I mean, they're a telecom provider. Oh so yeah, super fast yeah, broadband should, internet, whatever. Should understand I mean, that I mean, Marion, who wrote the article, um, actually mentioned that sometimes you can get free subscriptions to Hook uh, with certain telco providers. So maybe they throw it in as, as a package if you sign up to a particular internet provider, for example. Okay. Um, yeah. Another topic we had or we just published a story uh you know about an hour ago was uh Lionbridge uh facing Mm. a a lawsuit very interesting case by the founders of a business they had acquired earlier in a lot earlier in 2015 so so that company was called geotext it was a a legal translation company and uh the lawsuit is that uh, the, the geotext founders allege that they're owed additional payments from what's commonly referred to as an earnout. So when you're, yeah. you know, let's go a little bit beyond the Lionbridge case because it's uh, it's only the initial lawsuit. There hasn't been any statement by Lionbridge. We didn't receive any comments from them. But generally in a in such an earnout scenario, it's when you're uh, when you're selling your company, uh, sometimes there's an earnout component uh, attached to it which means that you're not getting the full price up front. So, you know, for example, you're selling your company for a total of maybe $10 million, you're getting $7 million up front, and then the $3 million are contingent upon the business hitting certain targets later on. So they, yeah. they want to make sure you, can, you maybe retain some skin in the game and, uh, you know, there's, there's a smooth handover. Uh, mm. somewhat common in, in, in the language industry because there's a, a lot of you know, small to medium-sized companies where the founder uh, may still play a pivotal role in, yeah. in running the business day-to-day uh, and may have not, at, even at the time of sale, may have not completely handed over all of the responsibilities. So as a buyer, mm. you're keen to have these types of components. And uh, uh, also, it's, it's also some are common for, for larger uh, deals, but uh, then the percentages mm. are typically a little lower, right? You want to get more yeah. cash up front. So let's see how that story plays out. Um, you know, again, we request a comment, didn't receive any as of press time, as we like to put mm. at the end of the <laughs> article. Uh, but uh, it, this is definitely a developing story. Who knows? Maybe they're going to settle eventually. Um, then we also ran a story on those ubiquitous translation scams. I mean, even I get some yeah. of these fake CVs. So tell us a bit more about uh, about that. Yeah, so bane of everybody's life, especially if you're a vendor manager in an LSP. Um, so yeah, we covered a story talking about 
translation scammers. So typically these are people posing as trans. I mean, the scams take multiple forms, but mm. one of the typical common ones would be um, posing as a recruiter to solicit somebody's CV. So once you've got the CV of a reputable translator with all of the mentions of clients or projects or training, um, you can then switch out the email address, switch out the contact details for your own, um, or potentially create fake accounts, um, LinkedIn, email, etc., and then basically farm out those CVs to as many LSPs and as many potential translation buyers as you want. Um, so apparently this is quite common and prevalent in the industry. Uh, I mean, it's not something that I personally have had a huge amount of experience with, but I, I think obviously if you're sort of on the vendor management side, potentially this is this is something that you really need to be aware of. So we, we actually covered a piece um, that was based on the translator scammers directory. Uh, so they're a collective of people um, who prefer to remain anonymous. It's one of the only times that we actually refer to and quote from um, anonymous sources. Uh, they produce an annual report every year to report on how scams are progressing. Is it going up? Is it going down? Is What's the state of scamming in our industry? So they just released the 2019 report saying that actually they have noticed a slight increase in the number of scams being reported to them. So, yeah, potentially, I mean, it's a challenge for everybody and, and it's a challenge to know how to spot these CD, CVs, sorry, and actually ward off against potential scams. I think, I think the way that it actually works, so you, you might think, okay, well, that's not a very sustainable thing. Obviously, if you're posing as a translator and you're not a translator, how are you actually going to make any money out of that? I think what they do is that once they've solicited work from an LSP, they either would run the translation through some kind of free machine translation software and deliver it back to the LSP. They then request payment before the LSP or the end client has actually had a chance to complain potentially or flag that there might be an issue. That's one scenario. Or alternatively, they, they, the scammer might outsource it to a super low priced translator. Um, again, potentially not somebody who, who's qualified to be, to be doing that work. Um, and then, so in that case, they maybe would not even pay the person that they're outsourcing or subcontracting out to. So mm. everybody, I mean, it's a threat to everybody. It's, it's a problem for LSPs. It's a problem for translators as well, who potentially risk having their reputations damaged online or, or, or not being paid by these scammers as well. Are you getting some of these CVs? Because I used to, but I think my spam filter is getting a little better. It's, it's literally, it's so standardized i mean unless they mm. really take the time to completely copy somebody else's cv and impersonate yeah uh, it's always it's kind of a basic word document format and it's like okay it's got a very i don't know um like the name of the person would be very specific to that country like so it, you know mm. it's like a <laughs> John Doe. John Doe from the USA, etc. Like, and, and the equivalent for that yeah. in Germany or Sweden. It's it, to me, it's very yeah. obvious that this would be a scam email. So probably it's a numbers game, right? You're sending out a mm. thousand of these. You might get lucky once, and yeah. uh, it's somewhat automated. So so they actually eventually end up making money. And I think from a trend point of view, they they said it was a slight decrease in 2019. So it's not like an escalating problem, right? It's something that's been around for a long, long time. 
Um, well, I think the trends have changed slightly. Um, when you've got when you've got email that's available, uh, when you've got all of these email domains and you've got LinkedIn, you've got various different platforms. I think it is becoming and Twitter and things like that. I think it is becoming more widespread. But I know there was there was an example that we cited in the article that was to do with counter counteracting these scammers and potentially turning the tables on them and actually spamming oh, really? their their potential e their e the email address that they're using once you've thought, okay, these are spammers, go back and spam them. Well, that's that funny. Was, do you that know was that, one possible solution. Do you know that super popular TED talk where the guy was responding back to a, to a scammer or spammer? Uh, you need to watch no, that. There's this so. like okay. 10 million views TED talk where somebody like, I yeah. actually replied to a spammer and got in a conversation with them. It's it's oh, super yeah. fun. It's like ten minutes, and then like he's walking people through the dialogue, <laughs> and like in in the end, like the the scammer is really confused, and it was actually it was a hilarious uh, TED talk. Uh, yeah, you should you should probably okay. watch that. It's it really out. funny. We actually ran a poll in the newsletter, and uh, mm. we asked if have you noticed an increase in you know attempted translation scamming um, using NMT or machine translation over the past two to three years. And half of them said, uh, yes, definitely. And, and another 15% said, yes, but not much. And then the rest was like, nah, not really. Because you mentioned, right, they're just running through machine translation. And this yeah. was harder to do four or five years ago because in many languages, sure. it was fairly obvious that this was empty output. And mm -hmm. now, like at a cursory glance, you might not immediately catch it, right? Yeah. Um, and then, of course, there's the whole component of... Um, uh, generally outsourcing um, for post editing in the first place. So that would actually put a bit of a stop to that because if you're outsourcing machine translation in the first place for post oh, yeah, editing, that will kind of, uh, that, that'll, that'll impede that scam. So who knows? Yeah, unless Maybe... people are, aren't actually changing anything from the machine translation output. But I suppose that's that, that is a big altogether. problem. <laughs> yeah, that is a big problem. And I'm, 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 I'm talking to a, a lot of, you know, people at, at LSPs and, and, and they're mentioning that, uh, you know, there's, it's, it's hard to understand how long have people spent actually editing, editing those files. And I think in terms of cat, uh, mm. tools going forward, that's definitely a feature, uh, that should be available and that, that, that they're building into the tools that you understand how long did somebody edit the, a segment, how much time mm. did they spend editing the segment? What, what was the, the, the editing made, like, was it in depth? Was it yeah. just kind of one? I like one the letter? value add basically. Yeah. The value add that's uh, that's probably yeah. some, some of the features they're working on at, at capitals right mm. now. Yeah. Um, you know, we, I mentioned it last in the last podcast as well. We have that, that product called Slater sweep where we're basically picking up on, you know, dozens of stories a day, and then some of them make it mm -hmm. into our editorial coverage on the website. So, so this week we had uh, a bunch of stories from the consumer electronics show in Las Vegas. Uh, 2020 um, about what they call to uh, what they call personal translators um, and and you know the, those earpieces the gadgets the, the gadgets, gadgets the, the, the gadgets like that, yeah. right and we we did run a few stories on those um, in the past and uh, it was so interesting when I when I googled a little bit around there was a there's a, a site called entrepreneur.com which called personal translators hang on the the, among the five innovations that will dominate the consumer electronics show 2020. I mean, obviously hyperbolic, oh, yeah. but uh, there were a bunch of those that uh, were well launched or, or marketed. And I always find it fascinating that people would actually buy this. Um, mm -hmm. And 
uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I suppose it depends where you are, though. You know, if you're somewhere remote, you don't know anybody. Maybe you take that as you know your modern day dictionary type thing. No, it's actually Do you, not you know? have well, you have an earpiece, and then you talk, yeah. and it's it's you know live interpreting it. So I, I find yeah. it fascinating that he would buy a standalone device as opposed to just trying to get this through your iPhone. Uh, so oh, okay, I see what you mean. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. No, I get the software that is in demand, but potentially not in that format. No, they actually have like actual earpieces. Look like uh, yeah, kind of uh, like that, like the, what you're wearing. Yeah, what I'm wearing. Yeah, it, this is the same <laughs> thing. And uh, yeah, last year we had uh, there was an article by the New York Times, so we were contact. Remember, we were in San Francisco. Yeah. There was a New York Times uh, correspondent that uh, pinged us on Facebook of all places mm-hmm. uh, on our yeah. company Facebook account. And we were, there were some back and forth. They did a couple of interviews with them. And then they published an article on those uh, head pieces in, uh, in November. That was a couple of months later. It was very interesting to also see how the New York Times does stories, right? It's, it's a long process. Yeah. There's a, a number of editing processes involved. And eventually you get one quote out of like a two-hour uh, discussion, right? And a link back, though. And the link back. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's, you know, obviously as a news site, that's that's gold if you get a link back from the New York Times. So, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. Uh, we'll, we'll link the story in the show notes. So, yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, I wonder if, that, if these devices really have a future, uh, given that, you know, everybody's super plugged into the phones. I mean, the standalone devices, but, you know, they appear mm-hmm. to be making headway. Three years ago, I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. They're never going to make any money at all. But now they're, you know, among the five innovations that will dominate the consumer Yeah, there's certainly a lot of hype, show. isn't there? Yeah, there's a lot of hype from that, from CES around these gadgets. There, sure. there is a lot of hype. All right, so circling back into the language industry, you mentioned last week that we're going to publish the um, uh, M&A report. So how is that coming along? It's progressing, yes, in the final stages, and we should be in a position to publish next week. Well, looking forward to that. Really exciting. It's a big one. This one is like 35, 40 pages. Yeah, lots of information, lots of data. Uh, It's a good read. Great. yeah, that's it for now. Thanks for listening to uh, number four of SlaterPod. Looking forward yeah, to having you around you next, next week. week. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye.